the idea of wonder. I, I, I think it was my favorite place. I'm looking for Skylar. See there? Skylar, remember when we were at Disney World and you rode on the Avatar ride? Oh, man. It was amazing. Eyes were as big as saucers. Now, I'm not sure if it... And, and there's even a sense of what is real and what isn't as we were sitting in this, in this ride in Disney World where, where this thing takes you all over the place. And, and if you just looked around, especially in the eyes of the kids around you, you saw them sitting on the edge of their seats. You saw their eyes the size of saucers as they just took in the wonder and the delight of it all. I mean, they were just amazed, absolutely amazed at the, at the colors and the sounds and the, and the experience. Oh, the wonder of it. We, we actually have a new grandchild in our home, um, and I try to work that in anytime I get a chance to talk. But one of the most amazing things about an infant, a child this age, about a little over one years old now, is everything is new. And so, you know, there's a stick on the ground, and it's like, whoa, whoa, you know, and you want to go, it's just a stick. You'll get over it. But there, there's just this wonder and delight as they, as they see the things for the first time. If, have you ever been with somebody the first time they saw the ocean? You ever been with somebody maybe the first time they saw, then they became aware of, of the mountains or the sunset? If they're from another part of the country, there's a, there's a delight and a wonder. Well, Seth wanted to put together a series as we walked into this Christmas season. And he wanted to invite us to see the Christmas story with eyes the size of saucers, with a sense of wonder again. And we've, we've got to admit that most of us, and I'll put me at the front of this parade, most of us have become, have become a little bit jaded, a little bit cynical, a little bit bored. And how sad it would be if we stayed cynical, bored, and jaded as we think about his coming and this Christmas season. So the invitation from Seth was to look at the story, the narrative in the Gospel of Luke. And, and it's an amazing story that Luke gives us because it's so personal. And since Luke was not an eyewitness, we think everything that is written there, someone told him. And this part of the story that we're going to look at today had to be told to him by Mary because it's so personal. And I want you to, as we look at this story together, I want all of us to pray that God would give us a new sense of delight and wonder with our eyes wide open to the, to the beauty and the hope that the gospel offers us. That we'd see maybe this Christmas not just as another season but it's a time that invites us to be reminded of the incarnation, of our hope, of a God who is redeeming creation back unto himself. And so that is our hope this Christmas season, that we would enter into this season with a new sense of delight and wonder. So, but before we look at his word, and before we talk about him, let's talk to him. Let's pray together. Father, I admit to you, I sometimes find myself more, more cynical than delighted, more hard than malleable. 
confess to you that we probably as a church find ourselves sometimes rolling our eyes, sometimes having that sense of, I've heard that before. Please forgive us. Would you re-engage our imagination and our hearts and our souls with the amazing story of glory? Would you not let us leave this room this morning without being changed by you? Father, we, um, you know everyone in this room. You brought us here. You know the couples that fought on their way here. You know the person struggling with cynicism and doubt. You know the, the struggles with shame and guilt. You know the people that got bad news from doctors. You know everyone's story in this room. And you're the only author that can make sense of it all. All of our stories. And so, Father, would you use this time to change us? For the people in this room that are too comfortable, would you disrupt them? For those that are disrupted, would you use this time to comfort And for all of us, would you use it for your glory and for your purposes? We pray this in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. The story we're going to look at this morning is a story found in Luke. And we're in the first chapter of Luke. And as you remember from last week, Mary has just found out she's pregnant. I would assume she's a little afraid. I assume that there might still be just a shred of doubt in her mind. And so she goes, well, I won't tell you about it. Let me read it to you. Chapter one of the book of Luke, it says this in verse 39. In those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judea. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, and she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is it granted to me that the mother of the Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believes that there would be fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. May God bless the reading of his holy word. It's an interesting story. Mary rushes off to see Elizabeth. You remember Elizabeth is a woman who had not been able to have children. And we found out earlier in this narrative that Elizabeth has become pregnant. She's six months pregnant with who's going to be, well, who already is, John the Baptist. And she says, earlier in this text, she says that God saved her personal disgrace, that in the, he answered their prayer that, she, that they would have a child, and it was her personal disgrace. And so what I want you to notice as we look at this passage First, there's a couple of things I want you to notice. I want you to first notice the shift. Second, I want you to notice the song. Third, I want you to notice the sanctity of life. And fourth, I want you to know, notice the solutions for jadedness. 
First, notice the shift. The shift in the story is Elizabeth thinks it's about her and her blessing. Elizabeth thinks that, that God answered their prayer, and he did. But in answering their prayer, that he took away her disgrace. But what she finds out in this story is that it's not really a story about her. That she just is playing a part in a bigger story. That now, with this thing that they've been praying for, this baby that's now inside of her, John the Baptist is, is part of this grand narrative of, of, of redemption and hope. And so all of a sudden, the story shifts from it's about me to it's a greater story that my smaller story is in. And I think if you want to move past cynicism, if you want to move past, if, if the shiny has come off this world and you want to move past your, your cynicism and your, your jadedness, the first thing you have to do is notice the shift. The shift was from it's about me to it's about God's greater story. If you were to take this, this first point I'm trying to make in this text, and you just had to put it into one phrase, it would be this. It's not about you. It's not about you. Your life is not primarily about you. It's about a greater, grander story. See, you got two choices in life. You can either spend your life telling your small story, and that story will last 70, 80, 90 years, however long it lasts, but it'll quickly be forgotten. It'll quickly be forgotten. Most of us don't even know our great-grandfather's middle name. Most of us don't even know their name. See, our stories are forgotten unless their stories are interwoven into God's grand story of redemption. You see, Elizabeth's story would have been a nice story of a barren couple who had a baby because they prayed that God would let them have a baby. What a nice story. But a little story. So she realized in this moment when Mary comes that it's not a little story at all. That she is a part of that grand narrative of hope. The grand narrative of, of grace the grand narrative of redemption that her, the baby inside her, is a part of that greater story. Do you know that God is the great author that can take your small story and include it in his grand story of redemption? And your sorrows and brokenness become part of that story. Your sadness becomes part of that story. Your joy becomes part of that story because it's ultimately God's greater story being told. So the first thing I want you to note in this story is the shift from self to God's greater story. Second, I want you to notice a song. Now, in this narrative, it's so personal, there are five songs from this point to when Simeon, uh, when he sees Jesus, when they bring Jesus for the blessing, in Luke, there are five songs given. As a matter of fact, the children sang the second song that, that Seth will be speaking about, um, the, the, the song that Mary sings. Um, they sang it that, this morning. 
Matter of fact, that'd be a great thing for you to do. Great thing for you to do this week is to memorize Mary's song. Just read it and memorize it because um, it, it was a spontaneous response to, the, to realizing that God's telling a great story and the Holy Spirit shows up and they, and they sing a song. It happens sometimes in Paul's epistles that there's, he's writing and something overtakes him, the, the Spirit of God, and he, and he just goes into prose for just a moment. But notice the song that Elizabeth sings. When she sees Mary, in those days, Mary rose, went in haste to the, hill, to, the, to the hill country, to a town of Judea. She entered the house of, Zach, of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, and she exclaimed with a loud cry. Now, this is her song. She was so moved by the Holy Spirit and of that event she sings this song. Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me, the mother of, the, of my Lord, that's important, the, the mother, mother of my Lord should come to me. A couple of things I want you to notice, and then the song goes on to the end of the, this, our text. A couple of things I want you to notice in the song. First, notice that the song begins with honoring Mary's role in the birth of Jesus. Second, notice that she acknowledges that the baby in, in Mary's womb is her Lord. And third, she recognizes the blessing that comes from believing in God's promises. And that's her song. She sings a spontaneous song about, about what's happened to Mary and how she's a part of this big story and, and how that the baby in her womb is, is her Lord and how blessed people are who, who trust in the promises of God. That's her song that she could not contain. She sang a song. Cynical people don't tend to spontaneously sing songs. Now, I want to stop here. Not only did I want you to notice the, the shift from self to God's greater story, bigger story. Not only did I want you to note the song, and, and by the way, as we go through this text in the few weeks ahead, look for the songs. There's five of them. This is the first. But I need to stop for a moment because I think this text says something we can't ignore. And what I'm about to talk about is, is very, very personal. And immediately, 25% or so of the people in this room your shoulders will tighten when I begin to talk about this. And some of you will, will tune me out immediately. But I think it's important because it's in the text. Many people sometimes wonder why are Christian people pro-life? Or why do people say that if you believe in the Bible, you're pro-life? What I want you to notice in this passage that the baby, John the Baptist, that's inside Elizabeth's womb, at this point's about nine inches long and weighs about a pound and a half. But that pound and a half, nine inch long John the Baptist could be filled with the Holy Spirit and could leap and respond. And that is an indication that how God sees um, life, 
Now, let me be very, very clear. 23% of you in this room, both men and women, have participated at some point in your life in an abortion. And I don't want you to leave here with any shame at all. But you don't get rid of the shame by not... We have to call sin, sin. You don't get rid of shame and guilt and sorrow by pretending or minimizing. I've, I've done horrendous things in my life. I'm a, I'm a significant sinner, better than most of you in this room. But God did not forgive me by minimizing what I did. God didn't forgive me by on the cross saying, hey, Jim, it didn't really matter. It's okay. By him going to the cross for me, he said, I'm aware of what you have done and who you are and how you've lived. And it's so serious. It took my blood to take care of it, but you are now forgiven. And you don't have to live with that shame anymore. And I would say to you, if you're one of the 25%, 23% of the people in this room that have had an abortion or encouraged someone to have an abortion, there is great, great forgiveness and hope for you. That's not the unforgivable sin. And you, to, to, to get that healing, it requires you to go before God and, and deal with it. And I think what you'll find is you'll, you'll find his seriousness about it because God takes life seriously. But you'll also find his grace. Please don't just pretend and ignore it. We are an, ab an abortion-wounded church. I, I say church in terms of the church in America. It's why some people don't work with a nursery and some people don't come on Father's Day or Mother's Day. It's why some people, it's, it, you see, when you're carrying shame and guilt around with you, it's hard to live a life of grace and freedom and so this morning, as we talk, we look at this text, I, I didn't want you to leave this room carrying that shame and guilt and burden with you any longer. But I wanted to make sure you knew the reason that it's a burden is because abortion is wrong and sin. Our, our theology in life is, is really pretty simple. We believe, and the Bible teaches this, that human beings are created in the very image of God. Jesus didn't die on the cross for the whales. He didn't die on the cross for global warming. As important as those things may be, he, they don't reflect his image. There's not a sacredness. He died on the cross for his image bearers, for for humanity that reflects his very glory in its design. It's the reason we believe life is sacred is because we believe that human life is an expression of the very nature. Sin has tainted it, but the very nature of who God is. And we see other passages in scripture that tell us the same thing. Um, in in, pro, in the, the book of Psalms where it says, you were knit together in your mother's womb. Talking about 
and talking about how the, the, the person or the soul of a person was there before birth. And so we are not trying to, the Christian perspective is not trying to take anybody's rights away. We're trying to celebrate the rights of a human being that, that, can, that can be filled with the Holy Spirit and leap at the sound because that child is alive. And that's what the story shows. So it would be irresponsible for me to teach this text without stepping into a topic that is pretty controversial. But it's really not that controversial in Scripture. It's hard to sometimes speak about because you'll be put in a category of, well, you don't care about people. No, that's right the opposite. The reason that we believe in the sacredness of life is because we do care about the image bearers of God and should. So, I know that was a little bit of a, a side turn from this text and this story. However, it would have been irresponsible to read this text and not acknowledge that, that thread of life that God puts in, in the text. So not only do I want you to see the shift from, from, other, from, from self to God, not only do I want you to see the songs of, the, of this narrative and, and hear the song of Elizabeth. Not only do you want you to see the sacredness of life, I want you to see some of the solutions for, jaded, for being jaded. If you'll notice, um, when you look at this story, you hear Elizabeth, you see humility, you see gratitude, you see joy, you see trust. There's a there's a sense here where we're invited to be people who, um, there's ways that you can see that the, the jadedness um, is, is taken away by some real principles that you see in here. First of all, notice that if you're going to get away from your cynicism, just there's a couple of principles in here we could look at. One of that is relationships. The first thing she went to when she was, she, she went to a friend or to a relative in this case. Isolation is a place where you're going to find cynicism and jadedness. And, and, and you'll become very self-absorbed. So the first thing that you, I would suggest that you need, if you're going to move away from, from our cynicism, is, is that you need to have relationships in your life, positive relationships in your life, people who, who deeply care for you and you care for them. Isolation is not the place... Is not a place of healthy place. It's not a place that God invites you to be a part. One of the unique things about Christianity is the fact that when you become a Christian, you don't just you don't just believe a set of things. You actually become a part of a family of God. So the first thing I'd suggest you notice is Mary and Elizabeth's relationship. Second thing I'd want you to notice is the focus on God's story and not your own, which is which I've already talked about just a little bit. Third thing, I'd want you to notice the gratitude that they have. The gratitude she has that she's thankful that she would get to see. It wasn't, she wasn't jealous that Mary was the, was the she was, there was gratitude that she got to be with Mary and that, 
and for their, there was just gratitude about the fact that they were carrying the children. And they also listened to the Spirit. There's a lot of, a lot of my charismatic friends will talk about the idea of being filled with the Holy Spirit. And I would want to suggest to you that really what they're doing is they're just becoming aware of the fact that the Holy Spirit's in them if they really are Christians. Once you become a Christian, all of what is, is, is given to you, Paul loves this idea. Paul actually is enamored by the phrase that Christ in you, the fact that the Holy Spirit is in us and working in us, the fact that somehow God, the big eternal God is somehow inside our small people, our small personhood is an amazing, amazing truth of the gospel. The idea that, that Christ is in you. And when and so Elizabeth is filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, since Pentecost, that, that, it's different. At that point, it, it was a, a filling, a special filling of the Holy Spirit. But when the Holy Spirit came, what did she do? She sang. What did John the Baptist do when the Holy Spirit came? He leaped for joy. You know, Nietzsche, an existential philosopher who was no friend to Christians. As a matter of fact, Nietzsche, he's the person that started the God is dead movement. Nietzsche said a couple of things to us as Christians. He observed us and he said, if you want me to believe in your God, you need to sing better songs. I think what he was saying was that somehow if what you really believe, if you really believe there's a personal God who's redeeming creation back to himself, I think you'd sing better. I think you'd sing better songs that they would flow from you. How often in scripture you see songs just come alive. If you want me to believe in your God, you need to sing better songs. You know another thing Nietzsche said? He said, I could never believe in a God who doesn't dance. He should have should have read the Bible. He's got John the Baptist leaping for joy. This week, as you wrestle with and you pray the prayer that God would give you a new sense of wonder, I want to invite you to dance. I want to invite you to sing a song. To listen to the Spirit of God. Listen to the Spirit of God telling you that it's all true. That your story is not the end of the story. Your story is just a small part of his big story and you're in his story. And it's glorious. And he wants you to dance. And he wants you to sing a song. Because when the Holy Spirit comes, you're compelled to move. And the Holy Spirit is in you, so you better pay attention to it. It'll compel you to move and respond. I would hope that if Nietzsche were watching our congregation this week, he'd say, huh, maybe that is all true. Listen to the way they sing. Listen to the way they move and they dance and they jump with joy. You were not primarily by God. Remember I said that we believe in the sacredness of life because we're created in God's image. In the image of God, you are not made to be primarily dutiful. You are made to be passionate. 
We serve a passion for God. And if the Spirit moves in you and you're aware of that movement, there's, it's an, there's an irresistible response that comes from that. No matter how much sorrow or struggles in your life, when the Holy Spirit moves, there will be a response. So, what a story. Mary finds out she's pregnant. 14-year-old virgin. Elizabeth, an old woman past her time, never had children, finds out she's pregnant. God's in the middle of that wild story and they think it's about them until all of a sudden God brings in the story and there's this awareness that this is God's story being told and we're a part of it. Don't leave this room thinking that your story is a boring story that doesn't matter because God is telling his story and he wants you to be aware that your story's in that. Notice the song that she sings. It's full of gratitude and hope. Remember the sacredness of life. And repent from the sin of cynicism. We invite God to give you a new sense of wonder, a new sense of delight, a new sense of hope new sense of life. Wherever you are this week, maybe you're one of the 25% that is struggling even still as we talked about that and you're, oh, remember, the Holy Spirit wants to speak to you. There's grace and hope for you. For the rest of us, you've sinned also and you need his grace and hope as well. Go to him this week and sing. Go to him this week and dance. Go to him this week and let your eyes become as wide as saucers as you live with a new sense of awe and wonder.